You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. My name is Ben White. I'm pastor in Circle of Hope. Ask me anything. How long have you been a pastor? I have been pastor here at Circle of Hope full-time. Uh, for about three and a half years. I started in February of 2014. Uh, the, the founding pastor of this congregation was ready to move on to something else. In fact, it was a position that we had created that we needed for the whole church. And the vacancy over here in South Jersey was kind of like this weirdly attractive thing. I'm a, I'm a Philly boy. My wife Gwyneth is like definitely a Philly girl. She's born and, born and raised like around the corner from Will Smith's high school. All right? Um, and so the thought of like moving to South Jersey was like really weird. And I was surprised by it. But I felt that it was the Holy Spirit was in that surprise. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit uh, speaks to us. And the way we can know that it's probably her is that... It doesn't sound like us. Well, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's God. Um, so it was a long process of discernment um, and uh, uh, to, to actually figure out how to, to get over here. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that we came. And uh, I had been a pastor over in Philly part-time for a couple of years before that. So altogether about five and a half years. Did yeah. Where did you... Is that in Philly where you first started your ministry, or how did you first start? Circle of Hope began in 1996 when I was 12 years old, but I helped because my dad was the founding pastor. My mom and dad moved to Philadelphia to begin Circle of Hope, which was trying to be an alternative to the existing church, which is why we're st- we still have a kind of like a different flair. It's, it's, it's tempting sometimes to try to be different for a different sake. Uh, but we want to be different because we think that Jesus wants to use this different means for people that might not get into the church otherwise. That's who we're for. We're, we're, we're uh, the next generation of the church for the next generation. That's the idea. So. It's a non-denomination church, like it's Church of God in Christ? Mm-hmm. No, we actually do. We are connected to a denominational family. Uh, it's called the Brethren in Christ. They are an Anabaptist denomination. Our most famous cousins are Mennonites, uh, and we partner with them through it for international relief and development with the Mennonite Central Committee. And, uh, but uh, I like to say we're, we're connected to the Brethren in Christ. They are one of our allies because being city folk um, versus being uh, like Lancaster County or Central Ohio folk is just very different. So they're like, they're like our cousins. We love them, and, and they help us do stuff like plant churches, which is our main focus. But we don't get in lockstep with them perfectly, which fits because that's the way, the congr- that's the way their structure works, is that it's the, the, the center of our power, you know, or our, our, our organizing principle is this conversation that we're having. Even, even in the Brethren in Christ, it happens congregation to congregation. Rob. So you talked about us being a little bit different. One of I think one of our differences is like our proverbs and how they exist and what they even are. I was wondering if you could like give like a brief 
your perspective of why have proverbs and maybe what your favorite proverb, proverb is? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've, we've been collecting proverbs since 1996. They first got organized in about 1999 by one of our first uh, second-generation pastors, Joe Snell. And uh, it was basically, we say these are convictions that drive us. There are distinctives. I've shown the proverbs to people, and they're like, hey, where's, where, where does it say that Jesus rose from the dead? I'm like, in the Bible. Because <laughs> we're not trying to rewrite the Bible. We're not trying to get to, like... Uh, make a ruling on every theological or biblical claim that people like to fight about. That's what denominations are usually about, honestly. They're about like defining camps theologically. And sometimes it's important because some theologies can go way off the rails, and I like to talk about theology, but I want to do something. So my favorite proverb is, we must be doers of the word, is that it's not just about knowing something in your head, it's about being something as a body. So we must be doers of the word is like the heading. We have a uh, 13, I think, headings, and then each heading has a bunch of smaller proverbs underneath it, and I think there are like a hundred of them now, because we just came up with a couple new ones, this, and, we, and, we, and all of them are communally decided. Usually a pastor uh, proposes it and says, hey, I think this is like something we've been saying, something that we believe, and it's worthy of being a proverb. And then we talk to our coordinators about it, which are like our elders, which are like our uh, the the, the community discerners and the leaders of the church. And then we put it into our map, which, which is our document that we make every year through communal decision-making to decide where are we going to push, which direction are we going to push together on? Everybody's got their own thing, you know. You know, Hope's going to be an artist, you know, whether the map says so or not. But, you know, we make a map so that Hope can give her time to push in this direction too. And oftentimes art is a part of our map, so... She can fit right in. <laughs> but uh, we need to push together. So we make a map that, that where we decided to go. And in that map is a, a reaffirmation of our proverbs every time. And sometimes they change or, or new ones get added. So we just, we just added some that reflect our, uh, our welcome to folks who identify as LGBT. Uh, we think that there is a place for them in, in our church, and we want them to have a full option to decide what they're going to do. They're going to listen to God, and they're going to respond accordingly. And so we, we had this theology and this dialogue going for many years, and it was kind of like uh, something that we did in a, a more uh, intimate setting, and we're ready to, set, to kind of put it out there in a more explicit way, so that all the folks that... Uh, our gay can find a place to worship, and also the culture has changed a lot, so that everyone who really is in solidarity with gay people also knows that um, we are distinct from many of our many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who take a much more traditional tack on how to interpret certain passages in Scripture. We've we've figured out how to how to stand biblically and make room for people that don't fit normal. Um, nor, and normal is a damaging word, but. I said it, um, uh, that don't fit into uh, traditional gender and sexuality norms. I don't know. I can't think of a better word. Sorry. <laughs> Patterns. Yes. Did you refer to the Holy Spirit as she? I did. What do you think of that? <laughs> if, any, if any member of the Trinity is a she, it's probably her. 
I don't, I don't, I don't do it exclusively. Though I can, I, I often, I like to throw in a, you know, Mother God sometimes too, because I don't think that God is male. The language of the Bible is 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 very particular to a time and place that was very masculine oriented. So it was kind of impossible for God to be anything but father. But if, if Jesus were incarnated into another culture where the matriarchy was more of a possibility, it would have been mother God. You know, it was, it was specific to those people. So we who are a bit more uh, empowered or, or, or more empowering of women, I think we can handle a different metaphor for God occasionally. But it's important to say for sure that God is not male or female. But we have to, our language doesn't give us a very good pronoun um, for, for something else. So I like to mix it up. <laughs> could, I, could I answer a little bit of your question? When we look at the, the Holy Spirit, I believe it's in Hebrews. I mean, in, in the Hebrew language, yeah. In the Hebrew language, it is a, it is a feminine just like in um, in Spanish or Portuguese, you have you have the feminine word and you have the masculine word. Um, so I, I do understand that the Holy Spirit is feminine. Ruach is the word, and yeah, it's it's a it's feminine grammatically. But scholars have also said that like the 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 gender of a noun doesn't act, doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it, it's a personification. Like, people didn't think about language that way yeah. until um, uh, feminists started thinking about it that way, really. It was, it was like, hey, th this is cool, <laughs> you know? Like, and so we kind of like that, too. I found it very comforting for me because uh, we know that Jesus was male. He walked around, he was male. Uh, God, the Father, that's explicit that he's the Father, and to have the Holy Spirit be feminine I felt very comforted that, um, you know, I'm in there and he, he knows me and I know him. It was comforting for me. Okay. I mean, according to, uh, just, I can geek out on this for just one second longer. According to thinking about God in community, uh, according to normal gender stereotypes, women are a lot better at like relating intimately, you know? Ryan's shaking his head, so let him be the uh, stereotypical. He'll be our he'll he'll be our stereotypical male. He confesses, like, yeah, that's for sure. I'm married. This is hard. Um, so, but the 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 nature of God is communal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and so that community has a um, maybe a femininity to it as well. Again, this kind of division is very. Uh, deconstructible, but because men have dominated the conversation for so long, it's important, I think, to bring up these complexities as often as possible until we're over it, you know? You might want to skip to the end and say we're over it, but we're not. Just to keep adding to this, but I think um, God is so big, right? The concept of God and what God has done and creating the earth and creating life and all these crazy things so big and we want to limit to this single concept male or female or this or that you know and it's just like just blow that all up <laughs> God is just bigger than all that so so and he God is big enough to handle she or he 
Like, right? Like, it's not going to diminish who God is by the, by the pronoun. Like, it's just bigger than that. You know, the same thing. We don't have a good word, you know, no. to make it bigger. We don't have a good word. It's like we don't have, we can't really imagine the concept of the power of God, so we don't have a good word for that. However, I think that in the male, female, when God made them both, he, when he made Adam, I think Adam had everything. He was inclusive. And then when, when God took uh, the bone from Adam and made Eve, he took certain things out of Adam, I believe. I believe that's why women are more nurturing. You know, maybe Adam would have been as nurturing, you know. I, all of, since she came out of this one person, to make two people, and they they come together to be one. I think they 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 are male and female. Yeah, yeah right. So if God, if Adam was made in God's image, and then out of Adam came Eve, that means Eve was also made in God's image, right? Yeah. So that's not exactly. taken away, right? So so we're both in God's image. Yeah, we're both in God's image, but also that, that maybe there, that it, it's, it's speculative, but it's interesting, Joanne, to think about maybe that there was this, that humanity was fully encompassed in Adam and then got split. And now there's this more complicated dualism to what it is to be human. Um, that, that's interesting. I, I think that that, that that kind of analysis is appropriate for Genesis because it's like a poem, you know? And there's, all, there's tons of meaning. We're still talking about it thousands and thousands of years later. So, yeah, I'm, I'm into that kind of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I have one more question. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, angels, male. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the angels that get named in the Bible are male. And I think that's where that, that, that comes from or they have male names. So those ones were, uh, or at least they have male names again, or like the men that renounced Jesus' resurrection. It says in Luke that there were two men in white robes. So uh, yeah, there, there are particular instances where, where angels or messengers from God are specifically male. I, I, I don't know if there's anyone that is specifically female. Does anyone know? If that ever happened in the Bible, I, not that I'm aware of. So, again, I think this is the product of um, God's God's grace to a culture that already exists and speaking to them as they're able to hear. You know, God has sent a messenger of a king is going to be a man. You know, I think that's kind of where that comes from. Sure, Annie. Um, ben, have you ever been baptized? Oh, de- I've been baptized Palm Sunday, 2015. Congratulations. Yeah, I came to Christ. That's like your spiritual birthday. Yeah. And then it was in my old church, Cherry Hill. Yeah, cool. And they they video they video screaming on the the monitor. Oh yeah. About my story and my testimony that I shared the Lord. And then I got dunked in the pool. It was amazing. And the pastor prayed for me. It was a great feeling. 
I love baptisms. I love, love, love baptisms. Got but, a free shirt. Found in Christ and a towel. And I love T-shirts. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Um, the next baptism we're doing is on July 28th, right over here in the Cooper River. You should totally give out free T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves. I love T-shirts. I'm. We. I. It'll. I can make it happen. It'll have a water theme, definitely. And different colors. Variety yeah. of size. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Fun size. Well, I, I'm talking a lot. Does anyone else want to tell about the time they got baptized? I've been baptized, yes. But anyone else want to tell a story about the time they got baptized? I will if you, if no one wants to. I, I was baptized when I was a child, so I fully understand what I was being baptized for. But as I got older... I got back when I began to understand what baptism was, and I got baptism, baptized again. So this another one is baptized once again. When you're baptized one time, you should get baptized again, right? It depends on what you think what baptism is doing. My my Catholic brothers and sisters think that it's a one-time thing done by a priest to uh, cleanse the sin uh, of of the human being that they're born with. And there's more to it than that, but that's one of the things that's going on. I don't really believe that. We, we have debates about that, my Catholic friends and I. And if you're baptized as a child and you don't fully understand it, because you're baptized. Uh-huh. You know, so I don't want I think that's kind of similar like the baby. And so when I, I've baptized someone who, yeah, got baptized even when they were like 16 and they, they knew what they were doing, like they were saying yes to Jesus and following after him, but since then they had had an experience of like falling away from Jesus and like reevaluating what it even means to follow Jesus. So they wanted to like make a new commitment to Jesus with their new understanding. And I said, absolutely. Um, it's a symbol of the faith that, that God has already been making inside of you. Baptism is a, is an identification with Jesus in his death and resurrection. That's why I said to Annie, it's your spiritual birthday because it's your, your new life symbolically began. So, we're not perfect Christian. We're all in the work in progress. That's right. We're a family stuff. But if we if we accept our our participation in Christ's death and and kind of make that a part of our of our life, we actually get to live into more every day, uh, and and it can actually achieve more without being like on the hook all the time. It's it's kind of weird to 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 become a failure to become a success. I was gonna say too. I was baptized twice too. My first time, I was like 13. Yeah. At a youth group, um, and everybody was doing it. You know, I was a wine safe pool, and like everyone did it, and I was like, okay, I'll do it too. You know. And then like way later. Well, not way later. 19, I was in Bible school. And I just was like, I want to do it now because I want to do it. I did it before because everyone else was doing it. But now this is my decision, and I really believe it, and I want to do it here. Right, so it was like a personal decision the second time. The first time, I just did it with everybody. And so um, I count the second time. I don't really count the first time. Exactly. So first time, my mom made me get back. You know, it was her choice. Were you ever baptized again? Yeah, that's actually I feel not fully Oh, okay, got it. I, I missed that part. Cool. At first time, I'm like, what I'm getting dipped for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But as I get older and start going to church more and start understanding some of God's word, then I said, okay, now I fully understand what baptism is. So I got baptized again, understanding and knowing more, you know? Yeah. You want yeah. baptism? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
When, when were you baptized, Miss Joanne? I did it because my mother kept bugging me. I was 28. <laughs> but afterwards, you know, a few years later, then I, I came to the Lord. So do I have to do this? You don't have to, but I would love to baptize you on, June, on July 28th in the Cooper River right over there behind the sneaker outlet. Gwyneth. Um, when I got baptized, I was 21, and I got baptized in the Wissahickon over in Northwest Philly um, in April. It was like ice cold. So first, I had to like make my way in, and... Uh, it was like a really emotional experience for me because I had been decidedly not a Christian for like five years. Like basically when Ben and I started dating, I was like, nope, not a Christian. <laughs> um, and so anyway, though, so I went in and one, so two things stick with me is one is the first time I got dunked, I came up and I didn't like, it was so cold that I lost my breath. Like, so it was like this gasping of air, like as if really it was like your first breath is like into the world as a child of what I imagine it must be like. Um, <laughs> and two, I cut myself going in because it was like there were rocks and that cut, it was on my ankle, it legit turned into a cross-shaped scar that I have for like years and I've lost since, but it was, I was really sad when I lost it because it was like, it felt so meaningful. Cross. Didn't you say you were going to like maybe get a little yeah, tattoo I right there? Like, yeah. I wanted to get like a circle just so I would remember and now that it like officially faded I don't exactly remember where it was. <laughs> uh, I have a question. Sure. Um, I wanted to know why we own thrift stores. And, and have like, yeah we own thrift stores. Yeah, we have two thrift stores, Circle Thrift, uh, technically three. Uh, there's Circle Thrift on Frankfurt Ave, and then there's Circle Thrift 2 right next to it, T-double-O, very cute. Uh, and we also have one on South Broad Street. And Mennonite Central Committee, which is our the organization that we participate in, it, we are one of, we essentially, Mennonite Central Committee is us. It's our international relief and development agency. Uh, they have a network of thrift, thrift stores that raise money for the, our common cause to uh, do peace work and relief all over the world. And they approached us, actually, uh, because they thought that they might be able to do an urban model of what they had been doing in rural areas. And a conversation got going, and we started doing a thrift store. One of the miracles that made our first thrift store possible was uh, we were planting a new congregation in Fishtown uh, area of Philadelphia, and we needed a building. And we found a building that the owner had been holding, and it was vacant for years. He used to do dentist work in there. And he sold us the building for the amount of money that he bought it for in the 80s. Uh, and so we got this, like, miracle building put a thrift store in there and it struggled actually for for a few years it to to kind of figure out how we were going to make it work but then it got going and now it's like a financial juggernaut it employs more like more than a 30 more than 30 people and that's one of the reasons we wanted to start a thrift store was to provide jobs for people and uh also we want to 
divest in the fashion industry, which it's a great, you know, love those cheap shirts at Target, but you know, they're often made by folks that don't get paid very well overseas. And uh, you can get those cheap shirts at Target's just secondhand. You know, I got some really nice shirts at the Goodwill in uh, Turnersville just yesterday. Um, and so that's one thing. And then also just to provide low cost clothing and home goods to low income people in Philadelphia. So it kind of had this like triple threat of raising money, uh, providing an alternative to the really kind of crazy economic system that, that goes all around the whole world. And then also, oh, it's four, because it provide jobs and then also provide um, quality goods to people that don't have a lot of money to buy them. Is that, a, is that I mean, yeah, you were on the board I, for a while. I you could have given that answer. Like, uh, yeah. I like talking about circle thrift and what we do. Last yeah. year we gave away over $200,000, so. Yep. Awesome. And if you want to participate in circle thrift, that you, you're always welcome to volunteer. And you can also donate. We have a closet by our front door that goes out to Marlton Pike. And you can just throw all your stuff in there, and they come and get it with the truck as often as we fill it up. And we fill it up often. Like once a month, that thing is overflowing with stuff. They, they, and that, and that, that's a new thing that we started doing. So, pretty great. Donna. Often when people ask, you know, they're new to the Bible, they say, you know, where do I start? And we often direct them to the Gospels. Where is your second place that you would direct them after they would the Gospels? So I tell people to go to the Gospel because we say we must read the Bible through the lens of Christ. Uh, a lot of the Bible got reinterpreted directly by Jesus. There was, there was a plan for stuff that was happening that wasn't really made clear until the full revelation of God was manifest to us in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the full revelation. He's the truth. All other truths are approximations. So, and he said that himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I tell people to go there because you got to start with Jesus. You need to know the full revelation before you can interpret the rest of it because the rest of it is all pointing either back to him or forward to him. Where I would start, like, so the first place I would start would be the Gospel of John. And then the second, the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> then the third, let's say Matthew. Mark's pretty awesome too, though. Boom. Everything happens. Boom, 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 boom. After the Gospels, though, where would you go? I think it's a lot of matter of preference. I mean, I love the book of Romans. I love the book of Hebrews. They're, they're, the, they're some of the biggest pieces of theology in the New Testament. Uh, and... And I, and, then, and, and I think both those books, and the Gospels themselves too, they point you back to the, the, the Jewish Bible, to the Old Testament. And if you read them intently enough, and, and with enough questions, like, what the heck does that mean? Especially Hebrews. Every other word in Hebrews is a quote of the Old Testament. So, you know, if you look, a lot of Bibles have in the middle... Um, or somewhere on the page it has like this is what they're talking about and it's like a reference to Psalm 2 or a reference to this a reference to that I would just use that as kind of like my my table of contents for the Bible it's like so Hebrews has this let me go back there and read that until I understand what the heck's going on in Hebrews 
<laughs> you know? Let me go back and read Psalm 2, and wait a sec, what are Psalms about? Okay, I'll read them all. Now, okay, now I have an idea about Psalms. So that, that would be a great way to do it. However, now that I'm talking so much about Psalms, I think the simpler answer is, you should read the Psalms. <laughs> um, that's, that's number two, because it, it gives us a, a map for what's allowed in talking to God, and spoilers, everything's allowed. You need to have a real intimate relationship with God that has no holds barred. You have to actually relate to God with all of the spectrum of your emotion, and that's something that is not necessarily encouraged by the God talk that we got in a lot of the churches that we grew up in. Uh, I'm not sure why. I'm not even going to throw anybody under the bus, but that's just the truth. It's like there are some things that you're allowed to talk, to, talk about in churchy, religious, gaudy places, and some things you're not. And the Psalms just say, <laughs> nah, <laughs> because they're all, it's all in there. And, and if you, I think you take the Psalms like a permission slip for, for your own Psalm, for your own prayer, for your own life with God, which is full and fully you as much as it is full and fully God. Jill. What you just said kind of hit it. Like, our background, like, I was raised Catholic. Marty was raised Presbyterian. We went to a Southern Baptist church. We've got all the rules, and it's like, I've never been encouraged to ask questions. It was almost like, from a Catholic perspective, if you ask a question, that's almost like a sin because you're going against what you were taught and so coming here it's just blown everything out of the water and we're still you know we talked about this we're still trying to process all this don't go this way don't go that way or you know you're going to go to hell and well we know <laughs> i'm not going to bring that question up but <laughs> you've um, you know just been here it's it's, it's been it's been life-changing and hard at the same time <coughs> in, in good and bad ways like I guess in a bad way only in that like well what what have I been thinking all these years is this is it right is it wrong I don't know so yeah. well there's a lot of comfort in those scripts I don't I don't think they're all wrong either you know and and I know that we're not all right but yeah, it, it, there's a comfort in, in having an answer. There's a comfort in having like a spiritual guide. That, and, you know, the ideal for the Catholic Church's example would be this kind of dialogue, you know, where we're, where we're trying to figure out so we can have a common answer. Well, that's it, I think, is just being asked a question. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I think that's how it got started. You know, if you read the stories about the folks that were making these rules way back in the third and fourth century, they were cantankerous people just fighting tooth and nail about things that I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a conjunction, you know? Like, why is this, why is this such a big deal? And of course, there's big theological conversations that came, that came out of it, and, and I'm grateful for the way they hashed it out. But pretty common to have disagreement in the body of Christ. Another one of our Proverbs, we are all recovering from the sin addiction, expect conflict. Uh, and that doesn't have to be a fight. It, it can just be uh, a way to to get somewhere together. A way, and hopefully that the, the place we get is intimacy with each other and with God. Justin, I was just kind of thinking what she was saying, expounding on that. I always try and like, I try and take comfort that like 
Jesus' disciples, like his literal followers, were kind of asking a lot of the same questions to Jesus. Like, are we doing it right? You know, and they had literal Jesus in front of them to be like... And Jesus' answers almost most of the time was just like, you know, it would be some sort of analogy or something because he was basically like finding a lot of comfort in like a lot of the times what Jesus is saying is, we just do what I'm telling you to do. Act your life as a Christian and you'll get your answers. But like the answer's not important. I've had so many moments of just like, ah, all right, I see what he was saying. But it's like, it's the answer that works for me because I like discovered it in my own walk with Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't like, a yes or no, a black and white thing. Like, you know, I have so many examples of, like, my struggles with, like, the word, like, Lord. Like, no, ain't no one the Lord of Justin. Like, I'm, you know, but just kind of when I have that realization of, like, oh, wow, like, Jesus, like, wanting to call Jesus Lord because I felt built up and I felt, I didn't feel, like, oppressed by, like, an authoritarian force. I felt like Jesus wanted me to have the same love and happiness and be equals. And it was like, Okay, that's what a good leader is. Someone who wants to build the people up around him. You know, those kind of like those, those moments where it's like so many of those questions that we ask, you know, a lot of what Jesus was saying, even to his own disciples, was like, just do Jesus stuff. And like you will find that answer you're looking for. And it might not even come to you as like, stop worrying about the answer and, and then things get like revealed to you in that way. And I find comfort in the fact that I'm like, and even Jesus' own disciples, who had literal physical Jesus in front of them, were still like, yeah, okay, but like, but seriously, Jesus, how do we know we're getting to heaven? And he's just like, so many times he's like, I don't know what else to tell you guys. Just like, let's, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, I think we put a lot of pressure on uh, getting it right. And again, that's how I started this conversation, is that our idea for getting it right is actually this conversation. It's actually this dialogue. And we're hoping for uh, it to keep bearing fruit. And again, it just began. If you're not part of a cell yet, that's the place where we've designed it to happen the most. So get connected to a cell. Um, But I'm also available for lots more conversation. Uh, Sometimes my job feels like it's going out to get coffee, and I'm really happy about that. So I'll talk with you a lot more. The team's going to come up, but let me pray. That mostly that, 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 that our dialogue would continue to, to develop. God, may this not be the end. May this be the beginning of friendships and conversations and more and more love. We need you to bind us together. And this idea that we have about dialogue binding us together is only that unless you're doing something about it. So bind us together, Lord. Make us a body knit us who are coming from many places uh, into one and help us to be of one mind even when we seem to have many minds which in fact we do so it's that kind of miracle we're asking for that this, this dialogue of love would go out from here thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.